Good morning, brothers and sisters. We are thankful that God calls us to worship him and that we may come into his presence this morning to praise and glorify his name. We extend a special welcome to any visitors and guests who are with us today and also to those who have joined us via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and may God be praised by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. Brother and sister Ben and Ilsa Buchholt with their children Kirsten and Emily have requested an attestation to the Free Reformed Church of Armidale. We wish them the Lord's blessings in their new congregation. The consistory with deacons will meet the Lord willing at 8pm tomorrow in the consistory room. And this morning the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing Psalm 93 verses 2 and 3. Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship God. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive God's greeting. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. 
Let's now sing together. We're going to sing Psalm 36, verse 2. After God revealed himself to his people on Mount Sinai, he gave them his law in order to teach them how to live in a relationship with him. Let's listen to the words of God's law as we find it this morning in Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter 
or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 86, the verses 2 and 4. And it's in this psalm that we, we sing here of the... We ask God in the first place to forgive us our sins, and then we pray that we are taught by him, and we, we give expression to the thanks that we have for the grace and the mercy that he extends to us. So let's, let's give voice to those words, Psalm 86, the verses 2 and 4.
Let's pray to God and let's ask him for his blessing. Dear God, Almighty Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that you are the King of kings and that you are the Lord of lords. You are the Lord of hosts, who's seated on the throne with power and majesty and glory. One of the great decisions of yours, Lord, is to, to have a relationship with your people. And when you decided to have this relationship, then you decided to reveal your character to us as being a faithful God, a God who binds himself in covenant relationship to those whom he has chosen. Father, when we consider the history of your dealings with your people long ago, then we see that you were faithful to the Israelites throughout their history. They sinned against you, and they were punished for their sins. Yet at the same time, you continued with them, and you restored them, and you renewed them, and you, you had a future together with them. And you did that for the sake of, of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through Christ that you were able to continue steadfastly and faithfully in your dealings with your people. Father, we glorify you for the richness of your character and the kindness of your dealings towards us. We know that you're an immutable God, that you never change, and that your dealings with us today are the same as your dealings with your people long ago. We thank you that you are a God of love and faithfulness, that you've entered into a covenant relationship with us, that you have signified this to us in our baptism, and that you promise to have a future with us. Father, we are sinners, and we're worthy of your, your condemnation, of your wrath. But we plead upon the blood of Jesus Christ, that we trust that for Christ's sake that you will continue with us. We confess our sins to you this morning, Lord. We look back at this past week, and there have been so many things that we've said and so many things that we've done that are displeasing to you. Oftentimes, we don't treat you well. We don't think highly of you. We don't put you in the center of our lives. And we're sorry about that. We repent of our sin and we pray for your forgiveness. Then also, Lord, it happens that we don't treat the people around us as we ought to. Please forgive us for the, for the way we disrespect those in authority over us, for the way that we get angry with others, for the lust and the greed and the covetousness and the deception of our hearts. Please look on us in mercy and wash us clean in the blood of your Son, and please renew us by your Holy Spirit. We pray now, Father, that you bless the time that we may have together. We're hoping to open your word to consider these aspects of your character. And we pray that you would bless us with your Holy Spirit, that we understand what a great God you are, and what a treasure it is to be your people. Help us to love you more and more. Help us to understand how much you love us. Lord, thank you for your grace in Christ. And thank you for this time we may have with you. Thank you for being willing to listen to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, I've decided to start a new sermon series with you. I'm going to be preaching on the book of Malachi. It's been a while since I've pre preached out of any of the prophets. So this morning we're going to consider Malachi chapter 1. And in connection with that, I'd like to read with you another prophecy, the prophecy of the book of Obadiah. So I invite you to open your Bible with me. We're going to read together Obadiah. You can find that on page 918 of your guest Bible. The reason we're reading this book of Obadiah is because there's a contrast that the Lord makes in Malachi between how he dealt with Jacob and Esau 
with the descendants of Jacob, the Israelites, and descendants of, of Esau, the Edomites. And here in, Malachi, here in Obadiah, the Lord spells out a bit about his dealing with the Edomites. So we'll read together Obadiah chapter 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up! Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you would have been destroyed? Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that, you, that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For you have drunk on my holy mountain. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they, never had, they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions." The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as, Zer 
as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Shepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Savior shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So far the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing of the of Psalm 85, verses 1 and 2.
text for the sermon this morning is taken from Malachi chapter 1. You can find that on page 500 and, sorry, 953 in your guest Bible. So Malachi 1, we'll read the entire chapter together. Hear the word of God. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals in the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle on my altar, fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and that its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifice to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together once again from Psalm 85, this time the verses 3 and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, 
when you spend a lot of time with other people in close relationship, then sometimes you take each other for granted. Now, it's usually not where it starts. When a young man meets a young woman and falls in love with her, then he loves spending time with her. They talk and they talk and they talk and they can never get enough of being together. And he's willing to travel long distances to see her and he's willing to spend all sorts of money on her and he just thinks that she's so interesting and he can't get enough of being with her. But then fast forward 10 years later after they've been married for a bunch of years and he comes home from work and he's got nothing to say. And they talk about the routine things in life but there's no spark. There's no curiosity. There's no sense of wonder in each other. You know, that happens not only between a man and a woman, it happens in a family. You have a boy who grows up and he thinks that his dad is the smartest and the fastest and the strongest man in the world. And he's 18 years old and he thinks his dad is ancient and out of touch and he doesn't know anything. What's the saying? Familiarity breeds contempt. It's not only true in our relationship with each other, it's also true in our relationship with God. This is something that the Lord addresses here in the prophecy of Malachi. Malachi was written around 430 BC. Just to put us into the historic situation here, it was about 300 years earlier that God sent his people into exile, 722, the 10 northern tribes. They were invaded by the Assyrians and they were scattered over the rest of the Assyrian Empire. And it was about 150 years later, 586, that the Babylonians came in and they captured the southern tribes, the two southern tribes, and they took them off into exile. What well, was 539, in one of the first waves of the exiles that came back, out of exile, they, restored, they were restored to Judah. They settled in Jerusalem. They settled around Judah. And they started to build up their land once again. Initially, it was really tough. They had a lot of opposition from the locals. It was hard to get the temple established. It was hard to get their houses established. Well, by this stage, we're about 100 years later. We're at 430 BC. Malachi is a contemporary probably of Ezra and Nehemiah. And at this stage, what had happened is that the people had kind of settled down. The temple was built, their houses were built, life was going on, but they had none of the glory that they expected. You read through Isaiah, the last chapters of Isaiah, and Israel was going to be this glorious nation. They were going to rule all the nations around them, and, and nations and kingdoms were going to come to them. It was going to be a high time. There was going to be peace and prosperity and joy and blessing in every way. Well, in Malachi's day, the people sat there and they looked at each other and they wondered, what happened? Has the Lord forgotten us? Why is life so hard? Why are things so difficult and miserable for us? They didn't feel much like God's chosen people. And Israel didn't see much like the land flowing with milk and honey. And so at core, they wondered if God really loved them. Well, the Lord 
has a message for his people. He tells them, yes, I do really love you. The one thing you need to know is that I'm your father, that I care deeply for you, that I love you with an enduring love. I've not forgotten about you, but I've been looking after you, and I will continue to look after you. And he tells them the real problem is that they don't love him, that they treat him like dirt. They take him for granted. And so what does God do with the people who take him for granted? Well, he doesn't write them off, he doesn't get rid of them, but he sends them a prophet. He reaffirms his love to them. And he teaches them, he says, you need to get your act together. You need to understand who I am. You need to understand what I'm doing for you. And so he helps them to be restored to his faithful service and joy before him once again. And so I preach God's word to you with this theme, since God loves us with an extraordinary love, he calls us to honor him with all our hearts. And so we're going to see in the first place the extraordinary love that God has for his people, and secondly, the honor that God calls from his people. So what does God do when his people feel abandoned and neglected? Well, he sends his prophet Malachi to them. Malachi, the name means my messenger. It's a personal name. This is a, a real person who had the name Malachi, and he's a messenger from God. And the message he has, we read in verse 1, is an oracle. Now, an oracle, it, it means message, but the word also could be translated as a burden. And it has, has a bit of ominous overtones. It's a message, but it's a message that, that comes with a, bit of, with a bit of pressure. It's kind of like, just imagine your father calls you to him, and he calls you first, middle, last name, Dirk Philip Poppy. Well, you hear it, it's a message, but you know very clearly that, that there's something up. Your heart rate goes up. Well, that's what's going on here. There's a message that God has for his people. But what's so remarkable about this message is immediately after telling his people that he has a burden, the first thing that God says is he says, I love you. There's going to be lots of admonition that comes later in this letter. But God doesn't start with a catalog of all the things that they're doing wrong. No, he starts by affirming his love towards them. I have loved you. And that's the basis on which he appeals to his people. Well, the Israelites turn it around. And they ask, well, how have you loved us? You say you loved us, but how have you loved us? We're ruled by a foreign king. We don't experience the joy and glory that Isaiah prophesied. We're supposed to be this great nation. We're supposed to experience this peace and prosperity. But we don't see any of that. And so we're really wondering how you love us. Does it ever, does that at all sound familiar to you, brothers and sisters? Now, sometimes it happens that life's a bit of a grind. We are the people of God. The Lord tells us that he loves us. But sometimes our intimate relationships are really difficult. We experience a lot of pain from those who we're closest to. And sometimes we have a lot of pressure in normal life. We face a lot of pressure 
in our families or in our jobs or financially or otherwise. Sometimes life doesn't turn out the way that we expect. We don't get the things that we had hoped for. So sometimes we become disillusioned in life. And somewhere deep in our hearts, we never say it, but somewhere deep in our hearts, we start to wonder, God, do you really care about me? And do you really love me? Well, has God forgotten you? Did you not love the Israelites in Malachi's day? The Lord answers the question very clearly for them. He says, I have loved you. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Do I love you? He says, don't try to answer that question just by looking at your immediate circumstances. Don't try to answer the question by looking at whether or not you get what you expect God to give you. If you want to know if you're loved by God, then the most foundational thing you need to ask yourself is has God entered into a relationship with you? The core gift that he gave to the Israelites that they've forgotten about is that he chose Jacob. Esau, I have hated. Jacob, I have loved. And if you remember the story in Genesis 25, the Lord tells us the story about Jacob and Esau, and God didn't love Jacob because he was such a lovable guy. If you remember the story, Esau was the older son. He was the son who was loved by his father. He was a man of the open fields. He loved going out into the countryside and hunting. Well, Jacob was a man of the tents. He used to stay around. He was close to his mom. Well, we're told the story about these two men. Then, then we're told something about the lifestyle that they lived. Both of them committed all sorts of sins. Well, Esau was not only a man's man, he not only lived in the outback, he not only drove a four-by-four, he not only you know, went hunting and, and lived off the land. The scripture says that Esau was also a man who didn't care about the things of the Lord. He didn't care about his birthright. He came in one day and he was hungry. And Jacob sold him, gave him a bowl of soup, and he sold his birthright for this bowl of soup. A little later, we're told about that he married two local girls, Genesis 26, 25. These women weren't part of the church. Now, we're also told a little later, when he hears the news that his brother Jacob had stolen his, the blessing from his father, that his response was one of saying, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to do him in for stealing that from me. Well, it's not a real godly response. But you know, Jacob wasn't much better. His name means heel grasper, because that's what happened when he came out. He was holding his brother's heel. But the name also, in Hebrew, it can also be translated as a swindle or a cheat. And that's the name that Jacob grew up into. Would a godly man swindle his brother out of his inheritance with a single meal? Would a godly man deceive his father in order to secure his blessing? Would a godly man constantly scheme and strive during the course, course of his whole life to get what he wants? Now, the truth is that neither of these brothers 
deserve God's blessing. And then God didn't wait to see how they would turn out and then choose the less bad of the two brothers as his own. Now, at the very beginning, as an act of his election, he chose Jacob. That's the foundation of the relationship that he has with Jacob. Jacob, I love you because I chose you. You are mine. I am your God and you are my son. Your descendants are my children and I have a future with them. And I'm going to continue with them through all time. In the Bible, when the Lord talks about love, love is not only a fuzzy, warm feeling. It's not only kind, affectionate. It means that. It does mean that, but it means more than that. Love also means faithfulness and commitment and steadfastness in relationship. And that's what the Lord says he does with his people, Israel. I'm committed to you. And I'm going to go the distance with you. And I will be faithful to my promises towards you. I am the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital letters, Yahweh, the covenant God who fulfills the promises that he makes to his people. It is in the words of Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, the Lord spells out his attitude to his people. He says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. And to appreciate that, you have to contrast it with Esau. God says to Esau, he says, Esau, I have hated. Verse 2 of our text, I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. So the historic situation for the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, is that if you, you think of the land of Israel, you have the Dead Sea, and then it's, it's to the east and to the south. That was the area where the, where the Edomites lived. It was really mountainous country. And these people, they lived high in the mountains. They were a really fiercely independent nation. They were a really powerful nation. And they always maintained their independence. Well, the Lord says of them, he says, their day is coming. And he contrasts that with the Israelites. The Israelites also had a day of judgment. They went into exile. But the Israelites never stayed in exile. They weren't banished forever. They weren't annihilated off the face of the earth. God promised after 70 years, they would come back to the land of promise. And the Lord would continue with them in the land of Canaan. But the Edomites, God says, they don't have that promise. What actually happened is that when the Israelites were, were being pillaged, when Jerusalem was being pillaged, then the Edomites, they got in with the Babylonians. And they came down on their brothers. And they also attacked them. And they also pillaged what was left of Jerusalem. And the Lord says for that, he says, the day is coming where you will be annihilated. And then you'll be shattered. You won't come back out of exile. You won't put your nation together again. Because Esau, I have hated. I haven't made the same promises to those people. And we know from the history books that's what happened. There was this man, the last king 
of the Babylonians, Nabonidus, he was campaigning in the country of the Edomites because he wanted this secure trade route to the Red Sea. Their final destruction came at the hands of a coalition of semi-nomadic Arab tribes in the third century before Christ. They were attacked and they were destroyed and they never put it together again after that. The Lord says it's a real contrast between the Israelites and the Edomites. Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Do I love you? I've made a covenant with you. I said you are my people and I've entered into this special relationship with you where I am your God and where I have fulfilled my promises towards you and I will continue to do so. I will continue to carry you not because of who you are not because of what you have done not because you're so good but because of who I am because I chose you and because I extended my promises to you. It's a really important thing, brothers and sisters, that we understand that this is the basis of our relationship with God. There are times where we may ask the question of the Lord, Lord, do you really love me? It doesn't always feel that way. And the Lord says to you, he says, don't forget that you are my people. I've extended my covenant promises to you. But I am your father that I've entered into this special relationship with you. I have a future with you because you are mine and because I am your God. You know, it's because the Lord loves his people that he also sends Malachi to them to admonish them for their sins. It's after affirming his love to them that he goes on and that Malachi admonishes them for the way that they treat the Lord so lightly. Somewhere deep in their hearts, they would never say it, but they were thinking, the Lord doesn't love us. We don't have a relationship with him. And they would never say, God, since you don't love us, we don't love you. But in their actions, they started drifting away from the Lord. You know, if you think that, that God owes you, if you have a spirit of entitlement towards God, if you think that he's not caring for you the way that, that he should, then oftentimes the way that's expressed is in, in your attitude towards him. You don't say anything. You never even, sometimes you don't even acknowledge it to yourself explicitly, but in your heart, you start to drift. And how does that reach expression in your life? Well, since you're not honest about it, then what happens is that you continue to go through all the motions of worship, but your heart isn't in it. You tick the boxes. You do everything that's asked. But you really don't love him. You really don't care about him. And it shows because you start cutting corners and because you become slack at everything that you do. That's the charge of verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name? God's saying, I'm a father. How come you don't honor me? 
That's what happens in families. Sons get to this stage sometimes that they don't honor their father. They may have held him in high regard, but they get to this point where they look down on their dad. They think he's dumb and ancient and out of touch. Well, Malachi's day, the way it reached expression in their relationship with the Lord is that they went to the temple to offer the sacrifices, but their heart wasn't in it. And so they thought, well, we have to do this. We've got to offer the sacrifices. So what they did is they went to the herds and to the flocks, and they took the lame and the blind and the sick ones and the ones that had been killed by wild animals. All the animals that they wanted to cull out of their herds and flocks, they took those and they offered those as sacrifices to God. Well, that's not honoring. God told his people very explicitly, Deuteronomy 15, 21. He's talking about the sacrifices his people bring to him. He says, but if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. God's saying, what are you doing? You can't do that. You can't bring that as a sacrifice to me. And then to impress it on his people, Malachi says, just imagine that you go do that to the Persian governor. Imagine you take some sick or blind or lame animal and you bring it to the Persian governor. You want to secure his favor for something. And so you bring him this special present. And it's a sick animal. Well, would he accept you? What made it real bad was the attitude. Verse 13, when they were offering the sacrifices, they would say, what a weariness this is. They would snort at it. These people treated God with contempt. They said, what a joke. What a waste of time to worship God. What are we doing here? And the worst part is that this was done, it was condoned by the priests, by the leaders, those whom God had put in positions of leadership over his people to lead his people and guide them in his ways, they were the ones who were committing these atrocities. Find the Lord says, Oh, that there was one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. If you want to get a sense of how appalling this is to the Lord, then you'll notice how God is addressed in these verses. He's not just God and he's not just the Lord, but in verse 6, in verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, verse 13, and verse 14, he is addressed as the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of the heavenly hosts. There were millions of angels who are bowing down and honoring him and glorifying him. These are powerful spiritual beings who recognize his holiness and who stand in awe of him. There are millions of demons who are cowering before God in the heavenly throne, before his heavenly throne. And all of them give glory to him and give honor to him. The Lord of hosts, he is seated on the throne. He says in verse 5 and 11, that his name will be great among the nations. He is this awesome, glorious, majestic, powerful God. And then there are these puny little Israelites who come to him, who think that they can come before him, and they think that they can cull their flocks and their herds by giving him the trash. Well, the Lord says, forget it. That's not happening. I just wish 
that someone would close up the doors of the church. I don't want any more of that. Well, what is God going to do with his people? He's already sent them into exile. He's already brought this covenant curse upon them. No, they haven't really learned anything. They find God wearisome. Their heart isn't in it. They're cutting corners in their worship. They give the Lord of hosts the worst and the last. They're going through the motions and they're ticking the boxes. It's a good question to think about, brothers and sisters. How often doesn't it happen that we're in a similar place? How often don't we have a spirit of entitlement? Instead of understanding that the Christian life is a life of sharing with Christ in his suffering, with sharing with Christ in his service, how often doesn't it happen that we think that the Christian life is the blessed life? Where we should have a cushy life. We should get everything that we want. How often do we not treat worship lightly? Now maybe if you want to make it real for a minute, a bunch of us here are cricket fans. Yesterday afternoon, it's a semi-final for the, uh, for the Scorchers. How many of you were alive and excited and looking forward to going to the Scorchers game? And you watch the game and you sit on the edge of your seat and you watch every single play that happens. And you miss nothing. And you compare that to a Sunday afternoon, you have a hard time making it to church. And if you make it to church, you have a hard time keeping awake and not falling asleep. Isn't it true that so often our giving is meager, our attention is divided, our devotions are pathetic? Sometimes we give sin a place in our hearts. We allow the worship of the Lord to be crowded into the corners. What does God do with that? How does he treat us, brothers and sisters? What is he going to do with us? What he should do is he should send us to hell. He should condemn us. He should banish us from his presence. He should lock up the doors of the church and say, forget it, I'm not doing that anymore. I am not your God and you are not my people. And I don't want anything to do with you any longer. That's what we deserve. But you know, that's not what God does. He wants to continue with you. That's so what he does, is he warns you. And he says, don't live like that. Don't let that happen to you. Don't be that kind of person. He sent Malachi to the Israelites, and he said, you need to change. You need to change your heart. You need to repent of your sin. Do you get everything you want? No, you don't get everything you want. Do we get everything we want? No, we don't. You know, sometimes there's things that we wish that were different. Sometimes we long, we see other people's lives, and we long that we could have it different from what it is today. But we have a good father 
who knows us and who loves us, and who gives us exactly the life that we have. He gives us far better than what we deserve. And he says that what you need to remember in the first place that I've chosen you, that I've entered into a covenant relationship with you, that you are my people, that I am your God, that I have a future together with you. You need to know that I love you. You need to honor me and glorify me for the majesty of my name and the glory of my character. It's really humbling if you think about it, brothers and sisters. The sad truth is that even though God has saved us from eternal judgment, our worship is still often pretty apathetic. You know the good news? The good news is that we have a Savior. The good news is that Jesus Christ offered God the kind of worship that God desired. For the joy set before him, it says in Hebrews 12, that was the joy of being surrounded with a multitude of brothers and sisters in worship of his father. He had the vision. He knew the day was coming when he, together with his people, would worship God perfectly. And it says in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he despised the cross. He didn't care about the shame. He said, I'm willing to go through that. I'm willing to bear the curse for the sin of all these people. I'm willing to offer the perfect sacrifice that God requires. And that's his gift to us today, brothers and sisters. We come to church, and sometimes our worship is pathetic. But we don't have to come here in fear. We come here in hope. We come here in hope that the sacrifice that Christ has offered is offered on our behalf. And that that sacrifice was sufficient That when God looks at that, he looks at us through the eyes of who Christ is and through what Christ has done. And he says, for Jesus' sake, he says, I love you. And I'm going to continue with you. And I have a future with you. And I accept the worship that you offer. The Spirit of Christ, he takes our prayers, Romans 8. He sanctifies them and he brings them before the Father. Christ he makes it right. What we do in so much weakness and so much sin, Christ makes it right for us so that we can approach God's throne of grace joyfully and gratefully. So in the last verses of Hebrews 12 that God tells us that when we come to church to worship, then we come into the very presence of God himself. God is seated on the throne with Jesus Christ and with his host of angels. And he says, we come into his presence And he accepts us. We don't have to be afraid because he accepts us for Jesus' sake and he's willing to sanctify our worship so that together with the angels who who are in heaven and with those who have gone before us, our worship, it flows to God in a beautiful way. When you think about that, brothers and sisters, you think about who Christ is and what Christ has done for you, doesn't that fill your heart with gratitude? God comes to you and he says, I love you because of the covenant that I've established with you and I'm going to continue with you and I'm going to sanctify your worship. I'm going to cover your sinful worship with the blood of my son and I'm going to sanctify what you do so that it's good and right in my sight. I'm a good God and I have a future with you and I'm going to make it happen 
where you fall short. Well, you see that, brothers and sisters, doesn't that fill your heart with, with a sense of gratitude, a sense of honor and joy before the Lord? This is the first admonition that Malachi gives to the, to the Israelites in his time. We're going to keep reading in chapters 2, 3, and 4, and there's going to be quite a few more admonitions that he's going to bring. But God wants you to understand, he says, these admonitions, it's not nagging. It's not nagging at you that you need to get it together, otherwise he's going to come down on you. Those admonitions are grounded in love. They're grounded in his grace to you in Christ. And so he says, I already love you, and I accept you for Jesus' sake. Well, if you nag at someone, you can get them to change their behavior, but oftentimes they're irritated with you. But if you love someone and you admonish them, reminding them of their grace, of your grace and your love towards them, then you respond in love. And then you love to do what the Lord calls. Think often of the love that God has for you. Think often of the covenant promises that he's extended to you, that he's sealed to you in your baptism. Think often of the grace that he's promised you in Christ. And as you think of those things, then let your heart respond with a spirit of love and gratitude to him for all his kindnesses towards you. Amen. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing of the, the blessing of God that comes to those because of his love and faithfulness and how we worship him for that. Psalm 85, verses 3 and 4.
now call upon the Lord in Thanksgiving prayer. We'll pray for our brother Hilko Seegers, grateful that he could have an operation and that the Lord willing, he'll come home either today or tomorrow. Also thank God for the care that he's shown to our sister Jenny Vendongan. This past week is, is a year since he's, she's received her new heart and, and things are well for her. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before your throne of grace. We confess to you, Lord, that often our worship of you is pretty meager. Lord, we do love you. We do understand that, that you are our God and that you've extended rich promises to us. But sometimes, Lord, we take you for granted and we don't think much of that. Sometimes we look at the people around us and the things that they have and we want what they have. Sometimes we feel left behind. Sometimes we feel lonely. Sometimes it happens to us, Lord, that, that we long for, for a rich and a full and a meaningful life. We long for restored relationships. We long for, for restored health. We long for, for a beautiful life. Sometimes it feels that that's so elusive and that the burdens and that the, the trials of life overwhelm us. Lord, please protect us during those times. Please grant that we, that we never take you for granted that we never treat you lightly, that we never become apathetic towards you. We're sorry, Lord, for the times we have. Sorry for our apathy. Sorry for cutting corners in our worship of you. Sorry for putting other people and other things in the center of our lives instead of you and for allowing you to get squished into a corner. Father, we repent of our sin against you. We plead with you for your grace and forgiveness for Jesus' sake. You are the Lord of hosts, You've entered into, into a special relationship with us. You've demonstrated your love most profoundly by the covenant relationship that you've extended to us, by the promises that you've given us in Christ, and by the fulfillments of those promises. Help us to remember, Lord, that, that you do love us, and help us to live out of that. Grant that our hearts may be filled with love for you, that when we consider the, the gift that you give us in Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the forgiveness that you offer, when we consider the faith and the peace between you and us and the contentment that we may have, that our hearts may be filled with, with joy and gratitude and that that may be expressed in our worship. Father, please fill us with love for you. Please also do that for our children, that our children can grow up to know you and to love you, that they don't treat you lightly, but that they respect you in the highest way. Grant that we may give an example of that to our children and grant, Lord, most most dearly, that you would work in their hearts with your Holy Spirit, that they may understand these things. They understand who you are and what you've done for them, that they may live out of that. Father, there are some of our children who have wandered away from you, also some other loved ones who have rejected you. We want to ask that you, that you would please work in their hearts, that you would reveal yourself to them, and that you draw them near to you with your Holy Spirit. Please help them to understand what kind of a God you are, that you're an awesome God, that you're powerful and majestic, that you're loving, that you're a God who's faithful and true to his word. Grant that they may look to you in faith and that they may receive the fulfillment of your covenant blessings. Lord, we pray that you would please also give us the patience to, to hand this matter over to you and grant that we may, may entrust it to you in, in the knowledge that, that you are a loving God and that you know best. 
Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you'd also bless us as a congregation, that we may encourage one another in the worship of your name. Help us to respect you in our personal lives and grant that as we have interaction with each other, that this can also be a blessing for, for the people around us. We pray a blessing for a blessing over our devotions, Lord. Grant that we may regularly read your word, that we seek to understand who you are and what you've done for us. Bless us as we seek to study your word, both privately and together. Grant that we're able to, to encourage and build each other up in the understanding of, of your greatness and the glory of your name. We also pray for a blessing over the, the coming year that lies before us. Please be with the students who go back to school. Please bless the teachers who instruct them. I want to pray that there can be a beautiful learning environment where the young people have an attitude of, of openness to their teachers, where they treasure the time that they can have to learn and where they seek to, to learn all that they can. We ask, Lord, that they may have respect for their teachers and that it may go well. And we pray for the teachers, that they can excel in their task, that they're able to, to teach the material that they've been given in such a way that they, they show the, the beauty of it and they show who you are and they show your work in this world, that the young people can grow up to know and to love you and to understand their place in your world, and that they can use their gifts in service of your name. Please protect our schools from evil. Please be a father to, to all of us in, in this work. And we also pray, Lord, there's some members of our church who, who are not in our schools, and we want to ask that you would please also be near to them and that you bless them in the work that they do. Please grant your grace over them as well, and Please keep them close to you and, and reveal yourself and grant them to make a well for them. And Father, we also want to ask that you would please take care of those who are under doctor's care. There's some members of our congregation who are in the hospital or, or who need care from doctors in different ways, and we pray for your blessing over that. We think especially this morning of our brother Hilko Seegers. We're grateful for the operation that he could receive, and we want to pray that you would please grant them to make a well for him. To grant him healing, grant that he's able to come out of the hospital, that, that he can be restored to, to good health. Father, we also want to, to ask for a blessing over our sister Jenny Vendongan. I want to praise and, and glorify you and thank you for the kindness that you've shown to our sister. Thank you, Lord, that, that you've preserved her life and that, that it continues to go well for her. There have been many challenges. And there's still many limitations that our sister faces. And we thank you that you be, you've been so good to her that you show your love and kindness to a brother and sister, and we pray that you would continue to do so. Father, we ask that you would also be with, with so many others in our church who are under doctor's care. There are many who have serious ailments and illnesses and who, who also have to contend with, with the breakdown of the body and with all the limitations that that brings. Grant, Lord, that, that we may look to you for help and that you would be a healer for your people. You've promised this is Psalm 103, and this is our, our great hope. Father, we also pray that you help us to accept the limitations that we face and grant that we do so with the spirit of, of peace and humility before you. Dear Father in heaven, we also wish to thank you for, for the blessings that we receive in this great nation. We're so grateful for the fact that we can live in Australia in a land of peace and freedom. Grateful this past week we could celebrate Australia Day. We're thankful, Lord, for the for the many men and women who've gone before us, for the stunning infrastructure that they've built up for us, and for the, for the easy and the, the beautiful life that we get to enjoy. If we think back of, on the life of the first immigrants who arrived here and, and the first people who lived here, Lord, many of those people had a difficult life. 
and they had a hard time making ends meet. And there was a lot of struggle and, and trials in their lives. And if we compare that for us today, then we realize how kind you are and how good you are. Thank you, Lord, for the governing officials, for all the, the work that they do to continue to secure this blessed life for us. Thank you for the doctors and nurses. Thank you for, for the clean water and for the, the sewage systems we have. Thank you for the garbage disposal. Thank you for all the regulations that we have in place that helps to regulate normal life so that people are honest and righteous in their dealings with one another. Thank you for the police officers whose task it is to maintain peace and order and to uphold the laws of the land. And thank you for our politicians who often seek to, to do what's very best for us. Lord, we, we pray for your blessing over all these people, that they may do their tasks faithfully and that we may continue to be, to be helped by them. We also pray that where there's sin and weakness, that you would work a change of heart, that you give repentance, that they may seek to, to do their work without, without hindrance, and that we may be blessed through that. Give us respect for our governing officials and help us to, to also continue to bring them to you in prayer. Father, we ask that you would please also accept the, the worship that we offer you today. We're about to give our thank offerings for the work of Pindari. I want to pray, Lord, that you would please bless the work that's being done at Pindari. We're grateful for the help that's been given to these men who are coming out of addictions. And we want to pray that, that you would please continue to bless them. Be a father to them. Grant that they may know you, that you, they may open their hearts to you, that they seek your face and that they may receive your grace. And grant, Lord, most of all that, that as they do so, that you would give them the freedom that we receive in Christ, that sin no longer dominates, and that the effects of sin are not the, the, the dominating force in life, that they can be free from addictions, that they're able to experience renewal in relationship with the people around them. Father, thank you that you offer this as a free gift of your grace. And we pray for your blessing over all those who seek to communicate that to, to the men who are in the program. Please forgive us for the sins we have committed. Please hear our prayer and please do it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this morning you do have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to God. The collection, like we just prayed, mentioned in prayer, is, is for the ministry of mercy, especially the work of Pindari. Then after the collection, we're going to sing together from Hymn 35. It's a song in which we celebrate the great gift of God in Christ, that we're chosen in Christ, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Hymn 35, verses 1 and 4.
Receive now the blessing of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.